When Microsoft purchased Bethesda, we thought that meant we would be getting its biggest franchises more frequently. But that may not turn out to be the case. Good morning, good Friday morning to you. I'm Shane Satterfield from Sifted, and this is Good Morning Gaming for February 25th, 2022. The show is in our patrons' feeds bright and early, every weekday morning, and beginning next week, it will be published day and date for free on our YouTube channel. You can find our flagship show, Game Face, by searching your favorite podcast service. You'll find the podcast versions of the rest of our content in the same feed you found this. So Bethesda has tons of franchises that I would argue most of us are pretty interested in. There's the Elder Scrolls, there's Doom, there's Wolfenstein, there's Dishonored, there's Prey, and there are some new ones like Deathloop and the upcoming Starfield. Lots of great IP. At least personally, I felt like when Microsoft purchased the publisher, that it would have a lot more resources and therefore its big franchises would be released a lot more often. However, some new reporting from VentureBeat's Jeff Grubb claims that that's really not going to be the case. But there's also a positive angle to this, kind of. Grubb is reporting that Fallout New Vegas 2 is in early talks at Obsidian. And the problem, according to Grubb, is that Bethesda doesn't want its properties to just sit vacant. Why would that be an issue now that it's been absorbed by Microsoft? Well, because Bethesda's A-team is working on Starfield right now, and after that, it will go into full production on the Elder Scrolls VI. According to Grubb, the plan for those games are 10 years apiece, meaning Starfield will live on for 10 years, as will the Elder Scrolls VI. If you think about Skyrim, that's exactly what happened. So where does that leave all the other properties? Now, Bethesda in the past has been pretty good about farming out some of the IP to other developers, and obviously Microsoft now owns those developers. But there are a few of Bethesda's games that it will only typically allow its A studio to work on. One of those is Fallout. Bethesda has figured out that it's not going to be able to produce Fallout 5 in any near time frame. And so discussions with Obsidian have begun for it to handle the Fallout franchise. Now, to a lot of Fallout fans, the first Fallout New Vegas is one of their favorite games. It launched in a terrible state, and over time it has become great. And a lot of people love it. And Obsidian made the first Fallout New Vegas, so it's a good match. But it is a spin-off franchise. We're not going to get Fallout 5 from Obsidian. Since Microsoft now owns Bethesda, Fallout, and Obsidian, there's nothing really stopping the project from happening. But now don't get too excited. Grub claims that it's just in early discussions and hasn't even received the green light. So any potential sequel is years and years away. So at the very least, we're going to have quite a drought between major Fallout releases, unless, of course, if you count Fallout 76, which by most people's estimation has pretty much been a disaster. But again, Bethesda did stick with that property and get it to a place where fans at least enjoyed playing it. One could argue that maybe Bethesda spent a little bit too much time getting Fallout 76 to a decent place. 
and it could have been working on something else, like a new proper Fallout. So I guess what I'm getting at with this topic is that maybe we should dial back our expectations a little bit on this Bethesda-Microsoft acquisition. I really thought that Bethesda, with all the added resources at Microsoft, all the technical support at Microsoft, that it would take away a lot of the nuts and bolts of game development and allow the really creative folks at Bethesda to maybe kind of spin out of that A-team and form their own teams and then therefore be able to get more games out. But it appears that Bethesda is going to keep operating business as usual. It's not going to make any changes to its development structure, and so we're just going to have to keep waiting one game at a time for its really big properties. And now for a couple more stories from the top of your SIFs. Yesterday we shared the free games with PlayStation Plus for March 2022, and today we've received Microsoft's lineup. The Flame and the Flood is free on Xbox One for the month, while Sacred 2 and SpongeBob are the freebies for Xbox 360. Boy, <laughs> the quality of the free games has really gone down on Xbox Live since Microsoft started pushing Game Pass. Now granted, Game Pass, worth every penny, great subscription service. You'll never hear me say a bad word about Game Pass, but at the same time, it does seem a little shady. Sony is seeking to have a gender discrimination lawsuit dismissed. Last November, a former PlayStation IT security analyst named Emma Maho claimed that Sony, quote, willfully violated, unquote, labor laws by intentionally, knowingly, and or deliberately paying women less than men for substantial or equal similar work. Maho also alleges that female employees were passed over for promotions and that when she complained of the treatment, she was fired shortly thereafter. Sony's statement reads, Despite the sweeping breadth of her lawsuit, the allegations in which SIE categorically denies, Maho fails to plead facts to support either her individual claims or the claims of the broad-based classes of women she seeks to represent. She fails to identify a single policy, practice, or procedure at SIE that allegedly formed the basis of any widespread intentional discrimination or had a discriminatory impact on women. Maho is the only complainant in a class action lawsuit, so without proof, she has a tough road to tow. If you're wondering why Nintendo hasn't jumped into the studio spending spree, there was some news today. It's purchased little-known developer Studio SRD. The support studio has been working with Nintendo for nearly 40 years, working on games as early as Donkey Kong, all the way up to Animal Crossing New Horizons and Game Builder Garage. Nintendo claims that the deal will close by April and will have a very small impact on its financials, which means that it didn't spend much for the studio. It's definitely not a splashy acquisition, but at least it's something. Jeff Grubb broke a second story today, confirming earlier reports that there will be three tiers to PlayStation's new online service, codenamed Spartacus, and sharing their monthly pricing. Most believe it's Sony's attempt to combat Game Pass. The essential tier for $10 a month is what you currently get with PlayStation Plus. And to be fair, right now, if you pay for PlayStation Plus by the month, it's 10 bucks a month. But PlayStation would be essentially doubling the price of the $60 per year PlayStation Plus option if it removes the $60 annual option. Grub's report was not clear on that. The extra tier for $13 a month adds all the downloadable PlayStation Now games. And then if you hit the premium tier at $16 per month, it adds game trials and cloud streaming from PlayStation Now. 
AKA you basically have Game Pass at that point. Now, if Sony doesn't take the $60 per year subscription for PlayStation Plus off the table, this is fine. I'm never going to pay these prices. Somebody maybe will, but I won't. So it's not going to affect me. I'll still have a choice. If PlayStation does take that $60 option off the table, suddenly this is outrageous. And then you're starting to look at the same thing I just mentioned with Microsoft, how it's lowering the quality of its free games for the Xbox Live subscription in hopes of converting you into a Game Pass subscriber. And there were even rumors that Xbox was going to remove the $60 a year Xbox Live subscription. And then fans freaked out and it didn't happen. So even if it is in PlayStation's plans to remove that option for PlayStation Plus, I have a pretty good feeling that the fans will rise up and it will revert on its policies. Elden Ring today reached 600,000 Steam players just one hour after launch. Turns out the sky-high review scores and all the chatter on social media has resulted in direct sales for From Software and Bandai Namco. The game is also getting a day one patch to improve the controls and increase stability. Surely, a lot of you will be playing it this weekend, so I wish you good luck. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll tackle today's boss fight. Welcome to today's boss fight, where I tackle random topics that may or may not be related to video games. So this horror adventure game called Martha is Dead launched today. It's getting terrible reviews, so don't think about buying it or anything like that. But a couple weeks ago, it was revealed that PlayStation had censored the game for release on its platforms, while the Xbox and PC versions would release uncut. Most of the cut content in the PlayStation version is based on desecrating corpses. One scene has you slicing around a face and then peeling it off. Another has you undressing a corpse, stabbing it in the belly, cutting open its womb with a pair of scissors, and then reaching inside to pull out a fetus. And the kicker is that the character that you do this to is your identical twin sister. It's all pretty grim stuff. You can find videos of the scenes all over YouTube, but I don't recommend watching them. They're gratuitous, gross, and have very little redeeming artistic value, at least in my estimation. I've been a gorehound since I was very young. My father bought a satellite dish way back in the day, and we got every channel in the world for free for a couple years until they figured it out and channels started being scrambled. So I was exposed to things I probably shouldn't have been as a preteen. And what I found was that I really enjoyed being scared. I had a couple friends who were the same way, and we'd seek out the most extreme horror movies we could find. Back then it was stuff like The Faces of Death, Day of the Dead, The Evil Dead movies, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Last House on the Left, The Hills Have Eyes, I Spit on Your Grave, and so many more. As an adult... I consumed even more extreme cinema. Mike's Imprint, Inside, Martyrs. These are films that make Hostel look like Sesame Street. 
I even went further than that and watched films like Sallow and a Serbian film. I do not recommend those latter two flicks. I felt awful after watching them, and honestly, the feeling stuck around for several days after. I got the same vibes from the scenes in Martha is Dead, just gratuitous hyper-violence with no artistic value or merit. And perhaps made worse by the fact that you're actually interacting with the game and performing the awful acts yourself. However, one could also argue that's some really potent art. PlayStation has decided to completely remove these scenes from the game. Perhaps taking a cue, Xbox insisted that the developers provide the option to not interact with the scenes or just skip them altogether. The game's developers acquiesced and made the requested changes. It went a step further and included warnings at multiple points in the game that there are scenes that may trigger certain sensitivities. But it's also gone on record stating that it's not happy about it. And I can kind of understand that. There's obviously an argument to be made that video games are an art form, and therefore each individual person will interpret each scene completely differently. What disgusts me may not disgust you. So trying to be a gatekeeper is essentially a fool's errand. So while exploitation films and games aren't something for most people, they may be for some. As long as they're clearly labeled and consumers know what they're getting into beforehand, altering or changing art is almost never a good idea. So while PlayStation may feel like it's looking out for its customers and it's trying to avoid a black eye, it's actually negatively impacting the art form as a whole. Because PlayStation is the leader. Now future creators will consider PlayStation censorship while creating their own art, which could ultimately impact the art they're trying to make. Thanks for listening to Good Morning Gaming. I appreciate every single one of you who listens to GMG. I'm Shane Satterfield, and you can do what the cool kids do and follow me on Twitter at Dinfire and follow Sifted at Sifted Games. If you want to support us, head to patreon.com slash sifted. We'll be back with another episode on Monday, so have yourself a great weekend, and until then, make sure you seize today, because there will never be another. <laughs>